Hello and welcome. Today I'm joined by Sean Connolly, who is the Medical Service Manager and Lead Physio at the FAW. So thank you, Sean. Morning. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, no, well, I'm hoping you're going to uh, stick to your end of the bargain and, and reveal some of these skeletons that we've been chatting about beforehand. So we'll, we'll get round to that. Yeah, well, I'll, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fire away. So... I know that you're you're from this neck of the woods, so I'm in Manchester currently. But you're um, you're the northern lad, aren't you? But I know you uh, is it Sheffield you're from originally? Yeah, Sheffield, mate. Um, wife's from Manchester, but yeah, uh, uh, a northern lad, mate. Yes, very much so. But right. been down in, been down in Cardiff for 16 years. You know, um, I, uh, I I finished my playing career and then moved down to the um, um, Cardiff City job. Uh, with Dave Jones, who would, was my manager when I was playing, um, and so it was like kind of the start of my second part of my career as a physio, really. Yeah. So in terms of the football, then, so obviously you were a good footballer growing up, but how did that uh, transpire that you went into being a professional? Yeah, you know, um, obviously grew up playing football. Um, obviously quite good at it was associated uh, as a with Rotherham United as a kid growing up was a schoolboy um, and then you got to that age at 16 um, and uh, was told you know sorry but no thanks you're too small um, but f fortunately for myself my mum was a, a nurse and, and, and had said to me listen you've got to have a backup as a career and, and I'd always fancied doing physio I'd done some voluntary work at the Spinal Injuries Unit in in Sheffield, the Lodgemore Centre then. Uh, and um, so it was a case, well, I went and did my A-levels and, and went to uh, Pinderfields and um, and um, got my degree in physiotherapy. But so whilst I was playing at uni, I was playing like semi-pro football. And then in my, in my last year at, uh, at uni, I was, um, I, was, I, got, I was playing in the first team at Stockport. Um, so it was a case of I got my um, physio degree and then kind of um, got offered a contract and thought, right, this is what's this this is the path that I'm going to take. And fortunately for me, I had a, a successful playing career for 12 years, managed to keep some of my clinical practice up, um, and um, then took it back up when I retired. So you know that was it. Yeah, so what was that like? I didn't know that you'd done your degree actually before you went professional then. So like, what made you decide to do that then? Well, it was just, it was not my hand was forced, is that I realised is that the football business is, uh, you know, trying to make it as a professional footballer is tough. Um, and it was a case of let me get something that I've, I've, I've got a career as a physio, something that I was always uh, wanted to do. Um, but that um, I, I got the physio degree and it was a case of, you know, I've got an opportunity to to play football. I didn't know how long that was going to last. Was it going to be a one, two year thing? Was it just going to be, um, uh, you know, a flash in the pan? But no, it, it, fortunately for me, it went from strength to strength. I had a couple of decent moves um, and, you know, amassed 500 plus games at senior level. I had a good career, uh, some great, great times at Stockport. I had a good move to Wolves and, uh, and, a, and some good times at Tranmere as well. So, um, and, and, and through that, you know, I, I was always planning for that next step, which was going to be after playing. So I managed to keep up my skills, um, not too much clinically, but I was doing a, a little bit around in the game um, and some clinic work uh, and a bit of voluntary work over the years. 
and it was a, a kind of a natural progression for me to stay in the game when when I got the opportunity. I could have carried on playing, but I got a 35, and it was a case of my body was feeling a little bit kind of uh, tired, uh, and it was a, it just an easy progression. I understood the the environment I was in, and Dave gave the opportunity to to, to come to Cardiff. And that was it. Um, you know, it was just um, it worked out perfectly. Looking back, mm, yeah, I'll go to going back. Were you at Stockport in '96? Because well, I'm an Everton fan, and one of my favourite games was the when Everton played you guys in um, in the FA Cup in '96. Yeah, I played both games. Right, yeah, so the, yeah, the you, replay. Well, you know, it's funny you said. If you watch the replay, which was, uh, I think you won, uh, I think it was 3-2 or 2-1. Or yeah. Johnny Ebrill scored. Well, if you watch Johnny Ebrill just glides past me as he, before he bangs one in the top corner in the last minute. Um, yeah, that was me just watching. And, <laughs> you and know I was what? clapping after he'd struck <laughs> it. Yeah, well, he doesn't score many goals like that because I was watching a lot of those ones. So he saved it for, uh, for, for against you guys. I had, a, I had a nice black eye after that. Duncan Ferguson gave me a nice, uh, a nice elbow. I remember that well. Yeah. Well, if it was only one, then you got off lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were, they were, they were, they were good times. The, the uh, I know Stockport aren't, aren't in a particularly good position at the moment, but the, the halcyon days at Stockport County were that kind of 90, 93 to kind of two thousand. And we had some good years, you know. We got to the semi-final of the the League Cup. Um, we we did we did pretty well in the league. And we I think we finished seventh in the championship one year. We had I had six good years in the championship. Mm. Um, and you know, Stockport were, were quite a force back then, you know. Yeah. What well, what was Dave Jones like? I I know Lee Jones, so I played football with his son Lee. Lee was a, Lee was an apprentice at the time at Stockport, so Lee actually, so I, so I know Lee well. Um, Dave Dave was a listen a, a good manager. He was very much kind of a gave the onus to the players to go out and perform. You know, he he, he liked four four two and he put good players in place. Um, if you looked at the sides then and what he went on and had a good career at Southampton as a manager and did really well before his infamous court case and then moved to Wolves and got them promoted to uh, to the to the premiership I was there when he when we did that um, and so he had a you know he had a knack at giving players um, some players a second chance that had probably drifted in the game but he had an eye for a good player you know um, he's um, we, we had some good times and he and he liked good football but um, unfortunately, he's not in the game anymore. But no, he, I got on really well with Dave, and and you know, Dave, I had a lot to thank Dave for for giving me the chance from a, a physio point of view um, to get to get into the game at a good level when I retired. Yeah, yeah, and then going forward to it, Tranmere. Then was Clint Hill at Tranmere when you were there as well? No, Clint had left. I was at Tranmere two thousand and I think I went there in two thousand and two to two thousand and four. So I had about eight, I had about twenty months there. Um, so Clint wasn't there, no. Right, yeah. Mickey Mellon, yeah. I played with Mickey Mellon, who's obviously back there as manager now. Um, so there was a few there at the time, a couple of legends from the time that they'd just been relegated. I think they'd had a few years in the championship. Um, but yeah, I had some good times there. Yeah, I mean, I just love that era of football. So I had an Everton season ticket at that point. Just absolutely was obsessed with it. So yeah, that game. So it was. Um, 
I was just doing some research beforehand and I watched the clip of that. So I didn't spot you doing the Ebro, but I'm going to go back and put it on. Yeah, well, I, I obviously I, I had a, a mop of ginger hair back then. And um, obviously it's uh, physios, it's fell out since I've gone back into physiotherapy. Um, obviously the stresses have been a physio these days, but yeah, look out for my ginger wig. <laughs> so in terms of like just as a player then, what what was your experience? Because you were already a physio, like did you get involved in anything or were they asking you to get do, do extracurricular work for them? Well, mate, yes and no really to be fair. When I, when, I, when I first went from university into the game, I struggled a little bit at first, Andy, to be fair to you. I couldn't take, uh, I'd gone from a quite a, obviously an intellectual academic uh, setting to them being into a football setting, I, and it, I, after about six months, I nearly packed in. I just couldn't get the day-to-day -day banter side of things. Um, so um, I really kind of struggled to get to grips with that. Um, but then after about six months, um, the physio at the time was a guy called Roger Wilde, and he was just, he was at the time, he was doing his um, physio degree at Salford when they did, you know, when they started the, um, the PFA started the, the Salford physio uh, course uh, and he was doing that and so believe it or not at the time I um, I filled in when he was doing these placements and stuff I, I'd, I'd help him out a little bit um, and then so some of the times I'd get questions from the players and it was me I was still learning my kind of trade as a physio not being involved in that like elite sports side of things so it was me about taking in the environment and learning what professional football was about then but don't get me wrong I mean the game's changed massively over the last 15-20 years so what it, when I look back now at what the medical department looked like uh, at a club then and what it does look like now are completely different you know uh, but you know interesting times yeah mm, yeah no I can fully imagine that so then to going forward then so when Dave asked you to go and join join the team at Cardiff then so did you have any reservations about doing that no, I think it was that natural progression is that I realised is that the the beauty for me was I'd got a second career and something I, I was passionate about and I always wanted to do. And so that um, that, that move um, was obviously daunting, moving my young family down, down into Cardiff. And, you know, you know, it's like and you follow a manager. I was always worried around that managers change pretty quickly in football and, and, and managers take their own personal assistance and, and medical team sometimes. And it was a case of, you know, is it is it going to be a long term thing or is it going to be a short term thing? But it was a it was a no brainer, really, because it was um, I wasn't going to carry on playing. I dropped down. I'd had a year at Rushton and Diamonds in, in, in that bottom division, which was between me and you shit. I'm honest you know the standard of football um, was poor and, and so it was quite an easy decision I didn't want to carry on playing at that level um, and so it, it was a natural progression but it was just about me adapting I'd been accepted as a player but now I'd got to put my physio hat on and, and, and be on the other side and get the respect from the players and management that I could actually manage a, a medical department and and get the players fit so all of a sudden instead of being that uh, patient I was I was on the other side of things so I a, it was a kind of a quick steep learning curve but at the time at, at Cardiff we'd got some um, experienced professionals that um, I knew and had played against and, and they had got a lot of games under the belt and so that transition was was was, was easy um, because the club was successful at the time and had, had, I think recently been promoted to, to the championship um, and so things were good on the pitch. 
which always helps in this environment. If things are good on the pitch and getting results, um, then things off the pitch are, are a lot easier. And I found that that transition was um, was quite easy in the end. Mm. So who was it Cardiff then player-wise? Oh, well, we had, we, there was the start of a, a change in... Um, there was Neil Ardley, there was people like... Um, um, we brought in Steve McPhail, I think Peter Whittingham started. We all within them first 12, 18 months, Joe Ledley, Jason Kumas, some really good players, you know, and that, that was the start of when Cardiff City played... I, you, you still speak to some of the Cardiff City fans and I'm sure they'll tell you is that that was, you know, some of the better days when they played some good football. And, you know, we signed the likes of uh, Robbie Fowler came, uh, Hasselbank. You know, we signed some good players uh, and, and Cardiff were quite renowned for being playing some good football, but just actually couldn't get over that final hurdle, which was into the promised land. And they did that after Dave had gone under Malky Mackay. But, you know, they, were, they, they, they had some great players. Great mm. Yeah, and then how did you find that that like becoming then in charge of the players? Like, did they have any? Did they like give you a load of stick or what? Or was that the standard anyway? Um, yeah, I think that's standard. I think that the I think, like I said, I'd got to earn the respect from the players that I could do do the job. I think I'd got the respect that I'd been in the game, I'd been as a as a player, but I, I was quite keen to to be able to show them that I, I could stand on my own as a physio as well. Um, and I think that was really important. I, I got that. Uh, I knew what the game was around. I knew the environment, and I think that that came quite naturally to me. And I think once you've got you, for me, you've got to understand the game and understand what it is the environment that you're working in. I see so many people these days that don't understand football, but yet are making decisions around football matters. Um, and I think that's re really difficult. And I've got that inside information. Um, I've also done my coaching badges, so I'd, I'd got both sides of it. Um, I found the, that um, the later stage stuff really quite handy that I could get out on the pitch um, and and deliver what I wanted to be able to deliver um, to the players. And, and instantly you've got that respect that you can go out there and put on the sessions. Um, and... and you know, it was it was quite good. Don't get me wrong; it was a steep learning curve. I was learning around. You know, I think as a physio working in elite sport, there are I've got good stories and, and stories where things didn't go quite right. And you know, we had you know players. Um, you know, you you were always after that kind of pinching days here and there. And I think we've all got stories where things didn't quite go right, and players had setbacks. And looking back, they're the, they're the learning curves and, and how we manage them going forward. Um, I think it's um, it's difficult. We've all been there, but again, um, that's that's the nature of the beast, and, and and we're always trying to push them barriers, and um, it's it's tough at times. Mm. And how big was the department when you went in? Um, well, the department was uh, myself, and then we had a, a sports therapist, and we had a, a kind of a doctor that came in and out. Um, so. It, it was literally a two-man a two man band full-time and that quickly um, became, I, I employed another physio and another soft tissue therapist. Um, so that quickly became four. And then I think that when I, by the time that I left, we were, we had three physios, two, um, two, physio, uh, two uh, sports masters, 
or two sports therapists. We had, um, you know, you'd have a part-time chiropractor, there'd be a part-time podiatrist, there'd be two sports scientists, all that came under that kind of performance umbrella. Um, and that's within a space of kind of six or seven years, which which mm. was quite scary. And how the how the club and, and that kind of department grew. Um, and I look at it now, and I look at what I've got on tap at international level, and we've got more staff. We've probably got uh, best part of 20, 30 staff that are, are covering. You know, we've got more staff than we've got players, which is mm. incredible, really. Yeah. And in terms of how does that progression then? So at Cardiff, how does that translate into how does it move from that, that, that second member of staff from a physio perspective? How does that happen? Is that something that you suggest to management or is it the manager or? Yeah, and I think it, it just the game that was the start. If you remember back when we looked at what like kind of Sam Allardyce was doing at Bolton and this the kind of revolution around sports science. And, and actually, if you've not got the best players, what how are you going to get the best out? of the group of players that you've got so it then the focus changed on to injury prevention how can we get the best out of these players load management and all that side of it and then so what sam had proven was that if you invested money off the pitch with the right kind of staff and the, the support system around these players is that you can do wonders with these players you know you look at the success that he he started at bolton and what he achieved and i think that people took that model and managers and clubs started to say, well right you know if if we're if we're treating these players and paying them x amount then you know if you're driving a ferrari you don't you don't want to employ a, a skoda mechanic you know and, and it's a simple um it, it, it's just simple what, why are we not investing in player health and everything around them the support system so we got the backing of the club uh, peter isdale was here at the time and he was like you know um yep if we, if we want to grow as a club and we want to go to that next level, let's get it sorted. And and we got so far with it and it, and it, and it worked in the end because we had that kind of level of uh, commitment from the staff. And when Malky came, he, he added to it again um, and, and we got there eventually, you know. Mm. And I think more, you look at most clubs these days and the support staff and the support system around the players. And, and even there, I mean, you look at the top level of the game these days and, and the players have got the support at the clubs. But most of these players have got outside support as well, um, and and that's where the game's just—it's just it's, the money in the game has, has allowed that to happen. Mm. Do you ever think it can get too much in terms of that? In terms of having so many people involved? Um, yes, I think that's where it's it's really important that um, somebody sits at the top that can decipher all this information that's coming in and then allows the manager to make a, an informed decision all right because too we all, too many chefs spoils the broth right so if you've got everybody that's and, and everybody that tends to work at this level um as as an opinion um and i think as a department it's important that everybody's opinions respected but then somebody can sit at the top and say right between us we've got to come to a, a decision that is the best for the team and and, the, and that player individually and so i think when you've got that kind of department where everybody's opinion is respected and then somebody's got to say uh, they've got to you know um make a decision um i think um that's that's where the departments will, will succeed i think when you've got people you know the game you hear about it there's a lot of listen there's a lot of backstabbing in football uh, there's a lot of um uh, one-upmanship and, and and secrecy and people don't want to share things 
and that particular side of the game I, I, I dislike uh, immensely. I think, um, um, you know, if, if you get to know me personally, I'm, I'm very much open. I want to hear, I don't want to sit around a table with people that have all got similar skills to myself. I want to listen to people that have got, that can bring something else to it. And, and then it's about myself making a decision around a player um, with with other people that have got different opinions to myself and then we can make a decision um so it's just it's about who sits at the top and then bringing that information together and how, we, how, we, how and what we do with it you know mm, yeah no definitely and then you mentioned peter ridsdale then so yeah what was what's, what's he like as a character because there's some infamous stories whether they're true or not i've no idea from the leeds days but you know he was fantastic here and I know he left. You know, um, if you if you if you speak to Peter about his time at Cardiff, he he was post the Salmon here era. He um, he took the club, built a new stadium, took us out of the old tr training ground, um, and then delivered a new, like I said, a new stadium. Delivered it into new owners. Um, and left the club. He'll probably tell you that he left the club in a in a better state. Um, through my time here with Peter, I mean, the club went from strength to strength. I know there were times when financially there were questions around uh, the sustainability of, of what Cardiff were trying to do and was it financially sustainable? I, you know, I didn't get involved in, in, in too much of that. Uh, but from our experience, what we what what happened at the club during that time and the players and where the club were, I've, I've got nothing but, you know, praise to say about what Peter did. Mm. And he was obviously bringing in some big players there. You mentioned like Robbie Fowler and, and Hasselbank. What was it like when you were bringing in players like absolutely huge names in the game? Like what what was it like having their like personalities, ability, like training wise? You know what? Um, Robbie was a little bit unlucky. He had a bit of a he had, he had surgery when he when he came, so he had a little bit of time off. But um, uh, Hasselbank, you know what? I don't think he ever missed a day's training or was never not available, which was unusual for somebody who was in the probably the twilight of his career. You know, you get these journeymen, you know, the game's littered with them. They'll they'll just try and pinch a, a year here, a year there and not really play. But to be fair to, to him, he came and he delivered. Um, Robbie was the same when he when we actually got him fit. But it, again, Robbie's career had been, um, he'd had a few injuries. So I think when you sign anybody like that, but his value from a training perspective and what he gave the younger players was 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 second to none. I have to say, I've, I've seen a lot of players and played with a lot a lot of good players, but Robbie was by far the best finisher I've seen. Left foot, right foot, whatever it was in training, he was um, he was unbelievable, unbelievable, and a great lad to have around the dressing room, and he was fantastic. Yeah, I can imagine. But yeah, I mean, Hasselbank's not a bad finisher himself. So uh, he scored. He, you know, he did really well. Um, he scored some good goals and I think it was the year that we actually ended up, I think it was the FA Cup final we got to that year. Um, when he, I'm sure it was that, it was 2008 I think it was, but yeah, um, they, you know, they were, uh, that was Peter, he liked he liked the name and, and Dave Jones was a bit like that as well. They, they, they liked to sign the kind of, the name players we, he'd got for Stevie, Mike, Peter Whittingham, big names, Jay Bothroy, Michael Chopra, you know, Robbie Fowler um, and, um, you know, it, it worked for Cardiff City at the time. Mm -hmm. So how did it transpire that you left Cardiff then? Um, left Cardiff, um, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer came. Um, Oli, to be fair, um, didn't have a particularly 
a successful time here. That was the time that they got relegated. But a friend of mine who I played with, Kevin Cooper, um, I played with at Stockport and at, um, at Wolves, had gone into kind of coaching, got his coaching badges. And he'd, um, he'd got an opportunity to go out to Switzerland to manage in the, in the Swiss leagues. And it was one of those, he asked me if I fancied going as head of performance. Um, and I said at the time, okay, I'd had nine years at Cardiff City. I was ready for a kind of a, a change. And it was something that I, I took the family out. Um, you know, the package to go out there was included uh, accommodation, kids in private school. And it was just too good not to go out there. You know, it only lasted kind of 18 months. Um, you know, it was tough, a tough decision to make. The kids didn't want to go. But then in the end, when we came back 18 months later, they, they didn't want to come back. So, I, you know, it was a, it was a it was a great time. It was a difficult time out there because it wasn't quite what it was made out to be. Um, but from a, a, a life uh, changing experience, then it was fantastic. Um, I'd recommend anybody to do it. Different culture, um, learn to speak a different language um, and then adapting um, what I'd learned as a, as a physio in, in, in a in, in the championship and at, at Cardiff City and then taking it to a club that traditionally Sovet, I mean in Sovet in, uh, in Geneva uh, in, in the Swiss football terms are a, are a massive club but they'd had some tough times um, but it was a case of we've got a project trying to um, rebuild what, uh, what Sovet and they wanted to get back into the big leads into the big league but um, it didn't quite work out from 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 that from a financial um, backing that 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 the new owners had, had put in place and so um, I ended up uh, being offered the job at uh, Crystal Palace so I kind of left before the manager left uh, but it was a great 18 months um, and it, but it was different but but again it was um, a, a great experience. Mm. What was Geneva like living there because I know it's got a reputation of being quite a sort of quiet place it's, it's a stunning place to live. I actually lived over the border in France because Geneva's that expensive. Um, so, but you, literally the borders, I, it was like still only 20 minutes into work, but I was, I was actually living over on the, on, the, on the French side of the border. But no, just a, a fantastic, you know, you've got Mont Blanc in the background and, uh, you know, I've got a ski resort at the back of me and as a place to live, it was a superb, beautiful, beautiful place. Mm. Yeah. And then, so in case you moved back to London, and how, how did that come about? Yeah, I um two seconds. Sorry, I'm just on a I'm on a call. Sorry. Um, um yeah, I mean I, I got I've been been, been touching uh, touch base with Zaf, who was the doctor at Crystal Palace, and he had worked believe it or not, he'd worked with Craig Bellamy at uh, at Liverpool and um, Zaf had put some feelers out. He was looking for a new uh, uh, physio at Crystal Palace. I spoke to him. He'd had a recommend, a good recommendation of of Craig Bellamy, which was good from my point of view. So he'd he'd offered me the role over there, and it was quite a simple move for me. Is that obviously I knew things weren't going too well in Switzerland. I sent my family back to um, to Cardiff, and I moved to a, to a, a small flat in London, and um, and took the head role at uh, at Crystal Palace. And Crystal Palace at the time were doing really well. Um, and I had um, two great years there. Uh, loved every minute of it. Um, uh, Zaf was fantastic. Got a full-time doctor working with you. We'd got another couple of physios. And again, everything was set up. It wasn't probably not um, 
when you look at the training grounds and everything that's in place at these top top um, Premier League clubs, it wasn't on that level. But again, Crystal Palace have got by by having that kind of family orientated um, setup and and it worked really well for them. Steve Parrish had uh, knew what he wanted to do, um, and, and so that worked really well. Um, but uh, the manager at the time was Alan Pardew, and looking back, I think um, I have to choose my words carefully here. Um, I'll put him down in the. Um, uh, um, what can I say? Well, how can I be politically correct about that? Not, um, you know, different way of managing. A different way of managing as as to what um, I thought he was going to be, um, and I, I I don't think there was a couple of clashes on the way. I think his views and my views on what needed to be done from a performance and a um, a medical perspective were were, were not aligned. And, um, so so that was interesting times. But he went, and then um, I moved on. I, I then got offered the uh, the full time role at. Uh, at the FAW, but I've been working for the FAW since 2011. Uh, Gary Speed had given me the opportunity to start working with the FAW in 2011, but it wasn't obviously wasn't full time. It was just in the international windows. Um, but um, yeah, and then got got the opportunity to, to make that full time in 2017. Mm. So just going back into that then. So when you go into any club, not just with with Alan Pardew there, but like how quickly do you think? Hang on, we might have a problem here. No, I just it's not so much a problem. I just think what you get used to is the more experience you get is you understand that managers have their own way of doing things. And I think, you know, um, some managers will embrace what the sports science and, and, and the medical team will will uh, will put towards them. Some will just turn around and say, listen, we're doing it my way. That's it. Um, and I think that's where you talk about all the people that are involved in the game these days is how that information gets um, gets delivered and, and, and is it taken on board? I think what I found difficult with Alan Pardew is that he didn't really want to listen sometimes to what was uh, what was being said from a sports science and a, and a medical point of view. Um, and I think if you read articles since, Alan will tell, he's, he's made that publicly quite clear is that he'd do things his way and he'd want to do it a, a certain way. Um, but I think it, it is difficult when you see managers that want to do things differently. I'm all for different because there's no set way that people, you know, we, we can we can play football hundreds of different ways. There's different methodology and nobody's actually patented anything that's perfect yet. I get that. But I think there has to be a, a certain level of uh, science behind it and, uh, and, and, and to ignore the medical and sports science, you do it your peril. Um, but there are there are still people out there. Don't get me wrong. I think that there's a lot of the young managers and the young coaches these days are much more adept at taking on board uh, performance aspects that, that that they that they trust and and will use. Uh, whereas I think whether it's the older managers or the old school, um, they just want to do it their way and seem to be stuck in their ways. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned Steve Parrish as well. Like, how involved do you get with like the the kind of the non-playing team? So that's the manager and so on. But how involved do you get with like owners or chairman, CEOs, etc.? Um, 
to be fair, you used to see Steve a lot around the training ground. He was always pleasant and, you know, wanted to a personal level to it. Um, Steve was probably one of the ones that, you know, uh, likes to do that. There are some clubs where you don't see the chief exec and the chairman and, you know, they stay up, they stay up an hour out of the way. Uh, but I vote, to, to be fair, at the clubs I've been involved at, even from a playing perspective, the, the, the chairmans and the, the chief execs have always been kind of uh, there to see and uh, want to be involved, not involved, too much involved, but always want to be seen around the place, quite personable. And I think that's quite important sometimes as well, that they've got mm. that, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you moved back to Cardiff and then, so that was in a full-time full-time capacity yeah so the, the the FAW created a role around kind of as we are lead physio was going to carry on and then as you see that I've, I've got this title as medical services manager so within that is looking after all the other international teams and then developing um, other aspects so kind of away from physiotherapy non-clinical stuff so the clinical governance side of things. Um, I'm also the FAW. We we are a, a kind of FIFA um, centre of excellence, medical centre of excellence. It's my job to run that and um, be involved and collaborate with kind of um, academic institutions about driving research, um, uh, partnerships with local with the hospitals about delivering medical care, um, and then looking at the domestic game in Wales as well. Um, I'm also involved with the Welsh Government, SALT delivering kind of um, CPR to schools and academies. So there's lots of different aspects to my role now as to what it has been traditionally, where it's been more kind of um, just purely about treating players and, and from a, a performance from match to match side of things. So don't get me wrong, when it comes up to camps, uh, I'm sort of like slowly building up to next international window where I've got to touch base with all the clubs and building them relationships with clubs and players and finding out where they are coming into next camp. But then there's also another side to my role, which is uh, more kind of managerial and around other aspects of uh, the medical side of things from an, an international national governing body side of things. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and Wales have just been unbelievable recently. Like I was actually, I was in Wales for the Turkey game in the summer and it was just, I was in a pub and it was just absolutely class. It's an unbelievable game. Yeah, and I, I think that stems from the, like you said, what what the what the country achieved back in 2016, when it was our first kind of uh, major tournament for for many years, uh, and the place went mental, and it was almost kind of the you wanted to be here to appreciate that and and spend time here and uh, and be part of that, but we were busy obviously in in, in France at the time, but yeah, um, and again the, the the Euros this year we kind of touched on it with Turkey. Um, and then it kind of didn't go a little bit flat after that, but I think we hit a bit of a brick wall um, against the Danes. Um, and, and we'd gone into that tournament with a kind of a, a lot of players that weren't hadn't been really playing. And, um, and we've seen kind of a, a big turnaround in players since the last Euros. But again, for us to qualify again for two tournaments on the, on, on the bounce has been magnificent. And again, We've got a big month coming up in November with uh, Belarus and, and Belgium. If we beat Belarus, um, then we've got to get a point, I think, to secure um, a second spot in, in, the, in the table behind Belgium. Uh, and that kind of guarantees us a playoff uh, place. So we're within touching distance of the World Cup for next year. So that, that's really exciting times um, for, for, for Wales. 
Um, so yeah, they're doing really well at the moment. Mm. And then just talk to me about the France experience because that again was just a remarkable achievement. But what what was that? What was it like going in? What was like the the um, the thought and the feelings about a realistic achievement for the tournament? I, you know what? I think when we look back, the the, the expectations were to let's let's just go and enjoy ourselves. You know, we we, we were. Um, very rarely do you get in football, I've been in, in the game long enough to understand is that if you get a group of players and a group of staff together that are all singing from the same hymn sheet and that everybody gets on, there's no egos, there's no kind of them and us. Um, and that was clear to see that the path and the journey that Chris Coleman and his staff we'd been through and getting qualification and, and looking at what we achieved that year, you'd, you'd look at you know, they're looking at the players and God, wow, you, you, nobody would have said that Wales would have got to the semi-final. Um, and, and, you know, looking back, we had a we had a great kind of team camp. Um, we, we'd not done anything. It wasn't massively palatious and out there. You know, it was, we took to self up in the northwest region in a kind of a, almost like a retirement area. You know, it was a hotel that was renowned for people and older couples to kind of, a resort and um, we just we just bedded down there and we had a, a great atmosphere there's you know we've got people that are ensuring that the camp you know when you're on camp it can be a long time on camp you know but there was always something going off the, the, the players were always up to something there was a lot of effort went into ensuring that the players didn't get boredom um, and, it, and it worked you know um, the players went from strength to strength and um, it was it was a fantastic experience, and, and I'm sure if you speak to the players, um, they'll tell you that after being on a camp like that is that, that they struggled for a while after because you know you become it's almost like you're institutionalised. You know every day this is set out for you. You've got three square square meals. You you go from doing you know exactly what you're doing, and then all of a sudden you get back and you're thinking, wow, what am I going to do? Um, but it, you know, as, as an experience to share with the staff and the players, um, was was phenomenal, phenomenal. Mm. And what do you do in that time period then, when you're away for what well, I presume is a month? Uh, or a lot of it is, uh, you know, get, don't get me wrong. Uh, when when the the build up to it is around getting the players kind of in a in a position to be ready for the games. Um, I was I spent a lot of time pre the Euros, spending a lot of time with Joe Ledley. Um, he'd, he'd had a fracture and it was a kind of, we were in kind of a bit of a, um, a rush to get him fit. Um, so I'd spent a lot of my time building up to that event, trying to get him ready um, for the tournament. But when you're actually on camp, is you, you know, the games come quick, um, thick and fast every four days. So it's about recovery then. So it's about ensuring um, that everything that you put in place, that the staff are ready, that there's a process, the ones that are, haven't played are then training. It's just, it, it, it goes pretty quickly, um, but everything's set out, it's all meticulously planned. Um, don't get me wrong, there's some down days where the players that want to go and play golf could play golf, but let me tell you, it, it, it just, it went without any, um, without any hitches at all. Mm. And what's it like when you're getting in, but obviously Bale being the, the, the most well-known one, but Bale Ramsey, you just got like absolute, some of the world's best-known footballers playing for the biggest teams. But they all do seem to come together, like you were saying. I think the, 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 one of the strongest things 
that Wales has got, you know, people like Gaz and Aaron are you, if you speak to them individually, they will tell you that they love coming away and playing for Wales. And I think in the past, um, you know, internationals has, has been uh, a bit of a chore for some people. I don't know, you know, but particularly for Wales, the players want to come. Um, I think what what services I'd like to think what we provide when we're on camp. Um, uh, the players want to come. They've got great medical care. Um, they enjoy training. Um, we've got good facilities, and so that we've created that kind of environment is that players want to come uh, and, and play for Wales. And I think that's why they, you know um, seeing that Gareth and Aaron want to come and play has attracted some of the younger players that could possibly have gone and played for other nations. Has attracted them to come and see that, that there's a there's a pathway um, and to play at the highest level that they can. So mm. Wales have got a lot to offer the young players that can possibly play for other nations. But there, there's a there's a, a strong pull to, to be able to play for Wales when you've got people like Gareth and Aaron representing the, yeah. the country. Did you feel like an honorary Welshman now then? <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, it's quite, it's quite weird, you know. Uh, obviously, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of where I'm from, uh, but since we've been down here, my kids have grown up here. Um, they, they, you know, they'll speak Welsh. You know, they took Welsh languages, etc., etc. So I do consider myself um, being adopted by the Welsh now. But yeah, it's a beautiful part, part of the world to live, um, and I've got no, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed my time down here. Mm, Cardiff's an incredible city now, isn't it? They've put so much money into it. It's a great city. It is, and it, you, like you said, we're um, we're we're not too far away from you know, I can go north and go up through the Breckens, you know, and I, I can go west and I can go down to the Mumbles, you know. It it, it really is a, a beautiful part of the world, it really is. Mm, yeah, and then you men you mentioned earlier on about some of the other people that you'd studied with and so on, but like, what's the network like for you in terms? Of you keep in touch with people that you either studied with or so on. Yeah, to be fair, I do. Um, probably the one I, I know you've you've interviewed him. I, I trained with Dave Hancock, um, so I, I keep in touch with Dave. Uh, although you can probably read about Dave, you know what Dave's like. He likes to tell everybody in the world what he's doing, who he's working with. Um, but let me don't tell you about the uh, the times you used to charge us a pound for t taking me from my, our digs to the um, to the train station, mate. He was always after a book, mate. The ma that man only breathes in. He's that tight. Um, but yeah, so I I I, 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 I my uh, my network people like Dave, um, you know, um, there are other people. I I have a close relationship with the with the physios at, uh, with the medical teams at the clubs. That players obviously playing for Wales. Part of my role and responsibility is to get out to these clubs, see what they're doing, touch base with them on a regular basis, um, and and that's quite a good way of networking. Um, so I think that's a big part of the job is that I want to make sure. And having been in, worked in clubland, is that I know what it's like when players come away on international duties, and I know what I'm I, what I was thinking as a. As, an, as, a, as a club physio, he's all, wow, here we go. What are they going to do with him? They're not. They're, they're just going to play him and, and not take anything, um, any advice that we're giving them. So I think it's really important that I understand that, you know, is that these players, they're trying to look after, uh, we've got to try and look after them because when we go back, they, they've got to they've got to play another four or five games before they come again uh, and we're asking them to go again. So it's really difficult and trying to ensure that they get what what we want them to do, you know, uh, that, that we're able to deliver what they're having at their club. So, you know, um, 
whatever that looks like. So it's it's my responsibility to ensure that these players are looked after like they are at the at the, at the home clubs. Mm. And that's that's been pretty smooth, has it? Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I think there's always um, there will always be incidences where clubs, you know, we always see it is that where players will come onto a camp, they've got a problem. Um, and we'll make a decision that, listen, he's not great at the moment. Could he play? Could he not play? We'll send them back. And you know full well they're going to play the week after, you know, when they go back to the clubs. I get that. I get that sometimes the clubs see the international window as an opportunity to rest players, give them a chance to get over the little niggles, the little knocks, the little... The, those little injuries that you know need a bit of time, and I get that. So, but it, but it is difficult when you've got internet, the the clubs, medical department are wanting this, but yet I know that we're trying to qualify for the World Cup and a European Championship. You know, um, we don't have friendly games anymore, so they're all highly competitive. They all mean something to us, and so we're trying to we're trying to win games and qualify for World Cups. But yet sometimes clubs want us to to rest these players and are quite prescriptive around what they think they should be getting and what they're not getting. And that's really difficult when you're trying to manage 28 players um, around two games, uh, massive games for us. And sometimes um, we, we, we'd like to think we get it right, but I think communications, what we're doing with them, this is what we're doing. I'm always on the phone to them saying, um, you know, this is what we've done this week. Uh, this is This is our plan going forward. I spoke to the manager, he's looking at maybe can he get 45, 50 minutes out of him or 60 minutes, however that looks. You know, um, Aaron was the case last last camp, you know, he'd come on the back of having a bit of a, an injury at Juventus. Um, Juventus were obviously a bit cagey about him coming to us. I'd like to think that we managed him all right and we had a full 90 minutes out, again, out of him against the uh, Czechs. And then we decided that we weren't going to play him a full game against um, the Estonians and, and and we got him through it and I've seen he was, he's been back playing for Juventus when he's gone back. So sometimes it, it works in a favour that we can be that kind of bridge as well. We're giving them time on the field and minutes in games that allows them to, can to, 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 to be ready and available for the teams. But then on the other hand, I get it when players are coming to us and they've got issues that clubs want us to look after them. And it is difficult. It is difficult. Mm. So, like, when you're dealing with, like, Real Madrid, Juventus, then, is the communication lines, is that more challenging? Um, it is um, a little bit, but obviously everybody's um, command of English is really good these days. I've got a good relationship with um, with Juventus' doctor, who's obviously worked in the English game as well. So, his um, spoken English is, is excellent, and he understands um, what it's what's needed. So, that, that, that relationship's fine. I've been over to Madrid. Um, and spent a couple of days with their medical team, building them relationships, although the medical personnel at Madrid has changed a little bit over the last few years. Um, but Gareth um, has got his own uh, people that look after him a little bit sometimes. So I've got relationships with those people. Um, and um, like at the moment, Gareth wasn't involved in last camp because he's had a, um, a significant hamstring injury. So I'm communicating with Madrid at the moment and what that looks like and is he going to be ready for the next two weeks. But so so that communication is vital. Mm, yeah, no, well, good luck with managing that for the uh, the next break anyway. 
Um, so just finishing off on a couple more then, this is always a difficult question, but are there any particular moments that you think uh, are the most memorable for you, either from playing, obviously the Duncan Ferguson elbow being one of them, but are there any other things that you sort of have in your playing career or um, in the role as a physio? Um, you know what, I think the Euros, I, I, I tell everybody, I think even I, I achieved I'm saying achieved a lot as a player. I, I never played at the top level, I played at championship level and, and played you know, 500 games, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But I think my highlight throughout the 30 years I've been involved had to be the Euros and, and 2016, the, the experience of just being involved at it at that level um, was was unbelievable. Um, so that was was a highlight. It was by far the best experience of being involved in professional football. From a personal level, um, I think... I scored. I scored. I didn't score many goals. I scored what? My first goal was um, in the semi-final of the League Cup uh, against Middlesbrough, live on ITV. I'd played 250 first-team games. I never scored, and then for some reason, I, I can't explain to you why, I made a little bit of a run, and the ball broke to me, and I've hit it on the volley, past Schwarzer into the bottom corner. And the rest was a, a blur because I, I still can't to this day to tell you why I went on that run. The manager was like, what are you doing? Where are you going? What? Man, I, if you watch it, it's like there's no explanation why a right fullback would end up on the on the edge of the box. But I did and I scored. So I think from a personal experience, that was probably the highlight of my career. But um, yeah, I think the, the, the Euro 2016 was 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 phenomenal. Yeah, no, it was pretty special, especially that Belgian match. That was just absolutely mental. Yeah, mental, mental. Mm. And then in terms of people that have had a particular influence on you, you've mentioned quite a few managers and so on, but is there anyone who's like really stuck out from whether it's a player, colleague or, or anything that's been had a big influence? Oh, good question. I think um, I bet so many different people is that what, it's like anything as a, as a, as a practitioner, you take bits from courses that you do and you become a better you'd like to think you become a, a better practitioner or a better clinician I think the same in football is I've took things from managers and sports scientists and, and doctors and, and I think you, I just become a more rounded person there's no one person I think um, has made has, has had a massive influence I think Danny Bagara was was the manager that believed in me as a when I went when he wanted me to turn professional but I'd known Danny I'd met Danny many many years before as a youngster when I was like nine or ten and he'd had a profound effect on me about practicing and the skills that I practiced even as a like a nine or ten year old and then it was not until like eight or nine years later that our paths crossed again when I was doing physio and that he said listen I want you to come down and so he he had a looking back he probably had a massive influence on me at a young age and then when I was doing my physio and, and wanted me to um, you know go into full-time football so I think he's probably had more influence than anybody um, but again I think it's been more of a collective um, those experiences around different individuals that have kind of made me who I am um, and where I am today. Mm. Yeah, well, there's loads more questions, particularly about your playing career, because, again, I just loved that area there. But maybe I'll do that um, off camera and you can tell me a few more tales that are a bit more uh, juicy from some of those things. Yeah, I have said that if I, if I, if I wrote a book, I, I, you, you'd end up taking a few people down. But um, 
but so I think that's why not many professional footballers write uh, write any books. But again, it's just I've I've been honoured. I've had two careers, one as a player and one as a as a physio, that have been dream jobs for myself. Uh, mm. I, I can't believe how lucky I've been when I look at it. So um, you know, it's just just flown by. But there you go. Yeah, and who was the best player that you played with actually? Played with or or, or um, yeah um played with. I was fortunate. Um, you know, uh, when I was at Wolves, I, I I was at the time when we had we signed Paul Lins, Dennis Irwin. You know, although they were at the back end of the career, great great characters, great players, and you look at what they achieved individually at the times at Man United, and you look at Paul Lins. I mean, Paul played for what the biggest clubs in the world: Liverpool, Man United, Milan. You don't play for them in England, you know, you don't play for them clubs and not be a, a good player. So I, I was fortunate enough to have, to have played with them. I think um, players I've admired, I, I see, I saw Stevie Mac, Stevie, Steve McPhail, who was at Cardiff. I thought he was a wonder, wonderful footballer. And, 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 and so was Peter Whittingham, God rest his soul. I know he passed away, um, you know, um, a while ago, but what a fantastic left peg he had. Uh, unbelievable, um, but um, yeah, yeah, I think um, so. I, I, you know, I've been really fortunate. Different players, you know, I've met players that probably technically weren't great, but were were leaders. You know, um, back in them days, back in the nineties, you know, um, was fortunate enough to play with players that you, you thought were oh, not not great technical footballers, but yet every Saturday went out crossed that white line and delivered, you know, and and, and were leaders uh, and led by example. Um, but um, so I've been fortunate. I've, 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 I've played with some great players, met some great people. Um, and then now at this time when I'm, 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 you know, dealing with international players that are playing at the highest level, you know, Gareth and Aaron that are playing at, you know, you can't get any higher and what they've achieved in the game is phenomenal. Um, so I, I've been really lucky. Yeah, no, this is genuinely the last question, but I've got to ask it now. As a right back, how do you think you'd have got on against uh, Martin Bale? Um, well, I, not sure. I'll tell you a story, a quick one. I played against Ronaldo when he was at Sport in Lisbon in a pre-season friendly. And, mate, he was 16 or 17. I've got the team sheet, right? I came on at half time. My friend got sent off. We were down to 10 men. Ronaldo was playing against me. We lost 5-0. I think I needed two knee operations after. I think, um, but against Bale, I, mate, Bale at his peak was just phenomenal. I, you know, again, obviously there are ways of dealing with him, but again, his pace, his ability um, and his left foot. And I watch, you sit and watch, I still watch him. You still watch him. And I know people talk about, as Bale, is he, is he the player? He was no, he's not the player he was. He's a different player. He's aged. He's he's been used to playing a, a different kind of football for for the last few years at Madrid. But he's still a fantastic player to watch. And if you ever get a chance to watch him now and how he plays and how he strikes a ball, um, just different level. It is a different level. Um, yeah. It's it's you know you play at that level, but that level that levels and then there's that level again. It's yeah. it's phenomenal. Yeah, pleasure to see. 
Yeah, no, well, sadly, we're never going to see that battle. But, you know, uh, I, I will watch that Duncan Ferguson one again immediately after this. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Sean, I really appreciate that. Really enjoyed it. So thank you for sharing those stories and your time. And um, I'm looking forward to coming to see you in a month's time or so. Yeah, I'll see you in a month's time. Good, man. Thanks, Cheers, mate. mate.